I've recently been informed that when I say don't mess your seat, folks, it sounds like don't miss. So I'm going to try and let go of the <coughs> accent a little bit. <laughs> see if I can get it to sound like the right word. Here we go. Um, I do have one question for you. I've seen it several places that you have a Guinness Book World Record, but I can't figure out and find what it is you have a world record in. Well, it's not as obscure as hot dog eating. Um, <laughs> Thank heavens. Yes. Yeah. So don't worry about that. We, um, yes. uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot cooler than just eating like 30 hot dogs in five minutes or whatever <laughs> those type of things. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that have raised great money for great causes <laughs> eating hot dogs, but I, I, I like that one a little bit better, Matt. And we say, okay, if you don't have a vision and mission, then there is no mystery why you're struggling with your team because you're not all in the same boat rowing in the same direction. Welcome to the messy back end of entrepreneurship. This is Lee Cassells, co-founder of SFQ Consulting. We all know that the back end is where most businesses fail, and I can tell you from my experience that all businesses have them, from solopreneurs to large corporations. This podcast is all about cleaning up that messy back end so you can save time, make money, and succeed. And now, here are your hosts, Sheila J. Logan and Nate Tucker. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all so much. We have a wonderful show for you today. Herb Kelleher said, we have a strategic plan. It's called doing things. I love that. And that's what our podcast is all about today. On our expert segment today, we're going to be speaking with Matt Young about surviving being a startup business owner. Matt spent the last 25 years in allied healthcare sector. He's a serial entrepreneur and has raised $6.25 million for charity. The Guinness Book World Record holder and listen to the end of the podcast to find out how and what. A two-time Ironman and he's won the top 40 under 40 provincially and nationally. With over 25 years of business experience and over 25,000 hours of coaching experience combined with his education and experience, Matt surrounds himself with servant leaders from other sectors with the intention of creating positive quality sport experiences for as many as possible, as long as possible, in the best environments possible. They can help people, teams, and organizations achieve their best through a level of coaching mastery only experience can provide. Matt is fantastic. And you'll hear the real questions and stories from our real entrepreneurs with real messy backends. And as an added bonus for the messy backend exposed, our expert Matt will not only share his experience, expertise, and the tools he suggests to get your backend cleaned up, but you will also expose how to not waste a great pandemic. Fantastic quote. If you're an entrepreneur with a messy backend and you would like to submit your story or question for our experts, Give us a call at 801-810-6726 or visit us at themessybackend.com. Thank y'all so much for joining us on today's episode of The Messy Backend. Coming soon, watch for The Messy Backend of being a single mom as well as many other messy backend topics from photography, speaking, book writing, traveling, and more. How would you like to have your very own Messy Backend podcast? Find out more about how you can use our team, our brand, and our online platforms to start and build your own Messy Backend podcast. Visit themessybackend.com slash join for details. 
Nate and I would love to be on your podcast or speak at your next event. Visit themessybackend.com slash speaking to send us your event details and learn more about us and our speaking topics. Thank you to our sponsor, Yes, Women's Network, where you will find the connections you need to achieve your dreams. Find out more at yeswomensnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe, folks, to our podcast. Head on over to themessybackend.com slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Plus, check us out on Facebook and YouTube to see full video episodes. Now on to our expert, Matt Young, for his expert advice. Don't mess your seat, folks. Here we go. Today, we have a messy backend question submitted by one of our listeners. Being a business owner is more stressful than ever, especially with the outbreak of COVID-19. How can we survive the pandemic as a small business and protect our finances as much as possible? First, first of all, Nate and Sheila, thanks for having us on the show. Um, it's always a pleasure to give some advice. Uh, we've got a lot of experience, so hopefully some of it can help your listeners uh, move through their stages of ownership and leadership. So how to survive the pandemic and protect your finances seems to be the hot question of the day. And I would think that there's probably a couple of answers, and, and I'm sure we can have a good lengthy discussion about that. But number one is pivot. Um, so I think what a lot of organizations have had to come to terms with is that they've had to pivot and you can't just do the same things you did last week, last year, um, because quite clearly it's different. So, you know, we have to move away from trying to force the square peg into the, into the proverbial round hole. And you look at what restaurants have done. They've done a really good job of it, you know, going outside where they could and weather dependent, they've had to make that pivot. So, you know, how can they set up shop outside on the sidewalks? How can they go to their local officials and bylaws and say, hey, listen, you know, our business sustainability depends on this. Can you relax these laws? Can you can you do this? So I think the first big uh, piece of advice is to, to, to think about how you can still stay in business and pivot. And you might not be able to do that just by yourself or on your own, because sometimes you're so tunnel visioned. The only thing you can see is the way you've always done things. So asking other people, hey, what would you do? Looking around in the industry, um, it's it's awesome because one of the byproducts of the pandemic has forced the industry to actually come together so instead of competing against one another in the same industry we're actually reaching out and connecting with one another hey what are you doing what are you doing hey let's get together and lobby for x y and z and i think that's really positive so that would be the the first suggestion that we would have so i i love that we actually did an interview with tats nakagawa i don't know if you know who he is he's also up in canada i believe and he talked about innovation and how innovation isn't just coming up with someone, something new. It's just making that switch or that change. And so finding that pivot. And one of the things we talked about was looking outside of your industry and finding what other industries are doing and bring that into your industry. So, I mean, there's a million ways that you can find something, even if you're not creative enough, like I'm not creative enough to come up, like just pull stuff out of my head. You know, like a lot of people are, um, you can look outside of your industries. I do love what the restaurants are doing. I've actually... My husband and his son last night went to chuck I know we talk about food in every episode. I should have warned you. Uh, they went last night and I said, were you able to actually go to the buffet? And they said, yeah. So before you go up to the buffet, you have to wash your hands and do a few things. They just changed a few things and now they're able to do that. So I agree. Like pivoting is, it's huge. And it's something that you always need to do. Not just like when there's a pandemic, it's something you need to be watching for, you know, throughout your business, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, that's the thing about the pandemic is actually it forces you to do that. You don't have a choice. So, you know, after post pandemic, I think that's one of the things that we should be scheduling into our, you know, annual business reviews or quarterly business reviews is what can we be doing that's different? What can we be doing that's cutting edge? Let's let's take the learnings from what's happened. Don't waste a great pandemic and make sure that going forward, we we are looking at those things and reflecting on that. I think that's going to be one of my quotes for you. Don't waste the great pandemic. <laughs> this is your chance to stand out above everybody else and, and get out there. Yeah, I think the next piece of advice is, is make the hard decisions. And, you know, it's forced a lot of businesses to make the hard decisions and people grapple with it. Um, you know, w- whether it's the, the really tough decision of how much staff do I carry? Um, who in that staff do I carry? Who do I have to furlough or lay off? and come back? Or do I want to try to save everybody? I mean, you really got to, you know, look at your finances and saving the business. If you go out of business, you ruin it for everybody. So you really have to make those hard decisions. And, and, you know, you need to delineate between the nice to haves and the need to haves. And, And that's one of the things that the pandemic has also done is force people to say, hey, listen, this was a nice to have, but we're really scaling back to the bare bones, whether that's in business and your personal life, et cetera. You know, what were what were those things that were just nice to have that we kind of took for granted, but we don't really need. So I think making the tough decisions in your business, the sooner you can arrive at those answers for whatever your business is, the, the better off you're going to be. It helps you not keep throwing good money after bad. So you're not just going down into this vortex that you're never, ever going to get out of um, because you can't afford it. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Uh, and what the pandemic really has shown us is really what is important versus not, what's not important. You know, in our in our personal lives, like you said, like what we're spending our time on, we all have the same amount of time. And I feel like these days, we almost feel like we have less expendable time. And it's the exact same thing with our finances and our business. It's we might not have as much expendable, you know, capital coming in. Uh, and so we need to focus on what really matters in how that money is going out. Yeah, absolutely, Nate. I think the last thing, Nate and Sheila, is, is, and Sheila, you alluded to it already, was carry the learnings forward. When we talk about don't waste a great pandemic, you know, what, what came out of this was that, holy smokes, we did not have a rainy day fund. We did not, we weren't uh, fiscally responsible in, in putting uh, things away. We didn't have a good plan B. You know, we were just kind of living hand to mouth or day to day. And that is no way to operate a sustainable business long term. I get we get that when you're in startup mode, it's chaos and you're not planning contingencies, um, you know, based on anything. I mean, who, who could have guessed this was going to happen? But if you don't have a contingency plan and a rainy day fund and a tangible plan B, um, then this is a great opportunity to think about that and carry those learnings that we've had through the pandemic forward so that again in our annual strategy meetings which should be happening november and december for the following year or whenever you know priority or fiscal year end we need to have those tangible plan b's um so that we don't run into the same things that we've run into again what would you say is like the very first step like people that are listening right now and they go oh no, I don't have a plan B. I don't have a contingency plan. Uh, but Matt's absolutely right. I need to set that up. Uh, what would you say is the biggest first step that businesses need to take in order to kind of create a plan B, a contingency plan? Yeah, great question, Nate. And I think the first thing is actually 
to challenge everyone to create a business plan, period. The new year seems to be a time that people want to, you know, ramp things up, think differently, et cetera. So take that time that you're, you're, you're calmed down to actually start to get in the business and start that plan A. Um, and then when you start that plan A, you know, we've talked about it earlier, do your homework, do your, do your, do your market research. What's happening in my industry? What's going on? Never mind the pandemic, but just in general, what's going on? What are the industry trends? What do I need to watch out for? You know, you should be looking at a, a couple of key criteria. Number one is your culture, uh, your mission, vision, purpose, values. Uh, you should be reflecting on those. I, I listened to Lee Cassell's podcast. He talked about with you guys that the importance of those things, you know, you should be reflecting on those things. Do we need to update them? Are they the same? Are, is our entire organization on the same page? Uh, where do we, where are these being reflected internally? Where are these be, being reflected externally? How's that happening? So starting with your culture, because that's really the foundation of every business, you know, revisit that, then move to your, your, your operations. So your human resources, um, you know, who's coming, who's going, who needs, you know, an increased level of leadership and mentorship, um, who's struggling, uh, who, who do I have to wrap my hand around and, and elevate and bring towards me so that they can uh, feel a part of the team or, or whatever the issue might be, can I solve it with those individuals? So in your operations, the first step is human resources. Second step is communication. How is our communication internally, externally? Um, third step is the, is the customer. Am I getting feedback from the customers? This is a good time to go back and get feedback from former customers. Um, you know, how do we do? What do you, what, what's working for you? What's not working for you? What would you like to see going forward? You know, how can we do better? Uh, give me a list of three to five things. So your operations is, is, is really the three buckets, the, the HR, the communications, and then the customer in that order. Because you can't just go to the customer if you haven't got a good communications plan. You can't have a communications plan if you haven't got the, the teammates on board. You can't have the teammates on board if you haven't solidified it with the culture. And then the reporting. So that's the R, reporting. So that is, you know, your budgets, your, 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 your cash flow, all of those things. Those are, how is it coming? Your marketing. How are all those things being tracked? Are they on track? Do we need a new system? Do we need a new CRM? All of those things have to be have to be looked at, and then finally we get to the execution. So if we've done one, two, and three well, the culture, the operations, and the reporting, the execution is easy. But what happens, Nate and Sheila, all the time is we go right to execution, and then we start running around like a, a chicken with our heads cut off. So great question, Nate. I think you know it, it, that's one simple formula. That's a formula that we've used to help uh, people really keep it simple because. Owning your own business is complex, as you know. That's why you're doing this this podcast to help people simplify it. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we recommend that you do. If your year end is April, then you're doing it in in, in March. Um, the key is give yourself you know enough time, two to four weeks, to actually think about it, get the feedback, come in. Uh, if you're not going to consult with a, a business coach and you're going to do it yourself, fine, but you got to communicate with your team. You got to onboard people before the rush just comes back in and you're too slammed to do it. Because once you get into that um, cycle of being in the business, it's really difficult to work on your business. I, I want to go back to your um, go to the HR because I went, I read a conversation in a Facebook group this morning. Someone had come in and asked, how do I handle my team play, teammates who aren't quite up to my excitement of my business? And that's something that we've covered previously uh, in one of our other episodes 
was how do you motivate your team? And so she says, I need to discipline this gal, but I don't want to actually discipline her. I want, I want her on my team. How can I do that? And so what she decided to do was instead of having annual meetings, she had a party meeting. And so she brought in, you know, comfort food and all these different things. And she sat down, she told this gal how excited she was to have her on her team. And then as she's telling her this, the employee comes out and starts saying, this is why I'm failing right now. And so they were able to come together and make the determination of what this employee needed to be able to step up to where they wanted her to be, rather than just letting her go or disciplining her and, you know, adding to her stress. They found out what her stress was, lifted her up, and then she was able to join the team and is just doing phenomenally now on the team. And a lot of business owners that we've noticed, they don't have their back ends um, straightened out. They don't know what their business plan is. They don't know what they're going to do next. What we need to remember is we need to do it right or the money just won't happen. It just falls all apart. Yeah, it's a great point, Sheila. And, and one of the things that we talk about is that is that founder's journey, if you will. And I remember we shared the article. So, you know, what you're talking about is is bang on and it's it's indicative of quite a few startup business owners. And, and there's kind of four levels, let's call them levels of, uh, or stages, sorry, that's even better, four stages of, a, of an owner's journey. Um, number one is the owner operator, where you're in a one solution fits all. So that owner operator is doing everything from delivering the product or service to answering the phones, to paying the bills, to being the manager, to doing everything. You know, they are the face and they're running around. And what that does is it puts a ceiling on your growth. Um, because if you're trying to hire people to scale the business, which obviously is the point of any successful business, and people are watching you, first of all, they're watching you and saying, I don't want to be like that. Uh, and then second of all, they're, they're looking and saying, there's no opportunity for me here. Um, so as quickly as possible, and, and it, is, it, it is nuanced because we call it that ugly haircut stage where you're just, you're not, might not be quite there in terms of being able to, to pay for and hire that next level. And there's two ways you can do that. You can either come out of being on your business and manage your business. So now you're in it, or you can hire externally. And there's pros and cons to both. You guys have talked about it a lot on your podcast in the, in the past. If you, uh, if, you became, if you get off the floor and you're hiring, it's still you. Uh, and it's still a you against them. If you hire somebody externally, you know you run the risk of your team going, well, they, how do they know this business? Uh, who are these people to come in and tell me how to, how to run this? Uh, if you promote from internally, you take someone who's been your friend, Nate, and now he's giving you constructive feedback and that doesn't go over well. So you really have to be careful about how you transition from owner operator to manager. But the, the, to your point, the manager, now you have the time to sit down with your teammates, listen to them and hear them. And that's the big thing that owner operators, Sheila, that you just talked about, don't do enough of is engagement. Uh, how are you doing? You know, and the example you gave, it had to come to a party with alcohol and comfort food. Um, we, we, where we can, which is not wrong, but where we can, we want to avoid it getting to that because that's almost to the point of no return. So this, the second stage is manager. The thir third stage is leader. And this is what I think you're, you're talking on. So where the, the owner is one solution fits all because it's the owner operator. The manager is one size fits all because I'm having my meeting. I got Nate on Tuesday at eight. I got Sheila at Tuesday at nine. I'm having the same conversations with Nate and Sheila, but Nate and Sheila are two different people. What Nate needs is not what Sheila needs, but I am, I am managing them like they're the same people. And that's a mistake that owner operators make. So next level is the leader phase. So, or leader stage where you're focused on the individual's needs in your business. So you're, you're managing or leading based on that individual's needs, not 
a blanket statement, not a one size fits all, and not just we're going to check this box and I met with you this week. Um, and the final stage of the owner's journey is the mentorship stage. And that's really where every business owner should aspire to be, which is, listen, um, you know, you've been here for five years, you've reached the ceiling of what you can give. I think it's time for you to go out and franchise or open your own or find another management. Um, not because I don't want you here, but because I care about you deeply. And, and your needs are first and foremost in my mind. My job as your leader and your mentor is to actually create the best environment for you first, because I, I innately realize that the best, the better you are, the better you're going to be for our business. And if that better means that it's time for you to get out of this business and spread your wings and, and take the next step in your journey, well, I got to tell you that and be honest. I can't be selfish and try to hoard you here because what's going to happen is you're going to be unhappy. And when you're unhappy, you're going to start to make Nate unhappy. You're going to start to make Sally and Jay and Joy. Uh, they're all going to be unhappy. And then I've got an issue. So um, really great point in terms of you know, HR and addressing those things before they become issues. So as quickly as possible, think about those four stages of the owner's journey, which is the owner operator, number one, one solution fits all. We know how that works and doesn't work. Uh, management, one size fits all. It's got its strengths and limitations, but then really working into the leader and mentor phase of, of your ownership journey. I was trying to like figure out, I'm like, where am I in this? Because um, I feel like sometimes like I'm more at the manager, even a leader stage. And then other times I'm like, wow, I'm still at the owner operator level. Like I'm sure in, in these stages, there is like a, a clear defined point with a lot of things, but I think it could also probably be fluid, you know, as you're, you're moving around different things in your business are going to be running differently. You're going to be ahead of the curve with some things and behind the curve in others. And so I was just like kind of mentally thinking in my head, I was like, okay, where, where am I on communication skills or like in the HR, like you were saying, I was like, Oh, HR, I'm definitely more in the owner operator level. Whereas communications, I know how to communicate with my team members. I know how to communicate with like external clients and vendors and those type of things. So I, I really like how you broke that down and because it kind of helps me figure out, okay, what's the next step in this section of my journey? Yeah. And bingo, Nate, that's really what that that's for. And you're right. It is fluid because there are, you know, different things going on at different times, just like you alluded to. Um, but it's interesting, the amount of uh, business owners that we will work with who've been in business for 10, 12, 18 years, uh, very successful businesses, anywhere from 3 million to, to 7 million to $10 million a year. Um, we ask what the, uh, what their vision is. That's the first question we ask. What, what, what we peel out, peel away the culture. So that's the first step we do. And more times than less, we don't have one. Um, and when we're, we're there because we are, we are, we've been asked by them to come in and, and do this intervention because they're struggling. And nine times out of 10, they're struggling with their team and engagement with their team. So we say, well, what's your vision? What's your mission? Well, we, we, we don't really have one. Um, and we say, okay, if you don't have a vision and mission, then there is no mystery why you're struggling with your team because you're not all in the same boat rowing in the same direction. Um, if you haven't laid that out uh, intentionally with your team, then what's happening is your team has joined you and they're doing whatever they want to do. So they're operating your business under their vision, their mission, their guiding principles, their purpose and what they think. Uh, you know, that's number one. Number two, how do you even know if you've never articulated your organization's vision, purpose and mission? 
that you got the right people on the bus in the first place. Because in order to have a great, a great high performing team, you should, they should be aligned with that. So you should be asking in your interview, what's your, what are your core values? What's your vision? What do you want to do? And this goes back to, to Sheila, your point, if that happens, we don't get to that example of having to wait to till there's booze and food to discover that because that's question number one. And, and when it's question number one, then we can create the plan, the individual plan. Again, we're in the leadership mentorship stage to bring that person along based on where they are. Um, so many times we get so busy, I'm using air quotes there, that we say, well, we don't have time to do all this. This is so labor intensive. But then back that off and think about all the times that you're dealing with fires, that you're meeting with people for issues, that you're, you, you, you know, you got to bring out the HR book, you got to write the reports, you got to do the, you know, the warnings and stuff like that. It's way less time if you proactively have that system in place to, to run your business. And, and Nate, you're right. It, it is fluid because it doesn't say, hey, listen, day 70, you move from owner operator to manager. Day 92, you're a manager to leader. That, that, it doesn't happen like that. Um, it happens more organically and fluidly, like you said. I was just thinking about the, the movie, The Intern, where they're interviewing this older guy to be an intern. And the questions they're asking him are very um, outside of the box questions. And the, the whole point is to say, you know, here's this old guy that did it the old way. And here's these new people doing it the new way. But I really liked the way the new people do it. They were asking questions that were not just, you know, tell me about your resume. We all know about your resume. We don't want to hear about your resume. We want to hear about you as a person. Are you as a person going to fit on the team? We talked about that in another um, episode specifically where we talked about make sure that the people you're hiring are, do have the same passion that you have. And um, then I was thinking about the same question where you said, don't treat everybody the same. Cause one of the questions that they were asking every single person who they were interviewing was, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And he's like, when I'm 85, he goes, oh, well, maybe that question doesn't apply to you. So you have to really talk to the person, not, you know, just keep into some kind of script or something like that. My question, I guess, is how do you make it fluid? How do you know when you're making that transition? Is it a mindset or is there something physical you need to do? You know what? That's a really good question. And I think it's the blend of a lot of things to Nate's point. I think it's I think it's, you know, from what keep doing what you're doing because you're doing everything, um, then that's a clear indicator that something needs to change and something probably should change. And, and so that then gets into the management level. Um, uh, that, that could be one indicator. The other indicator could be that you're, you're starting to lose your staff. You're starting to lose staff, morale, et cetera. Um, you've got to take a look at that. You've got to ask why. Um, you got to ask yourself the tough questions. You got to ask your staff the tough questions and your teammates the tough questions. And if the answer comes back, I, don't, I just don't see a role for myself here. I don't see an opportunity in this company for me. It's all you. Um, then that's a clear indicator as well. So I think it's the, the, you know, the communication piece is, is you got to really be on it. So if you're not self-aware enough to say, hey, listen, I, I can't do this anymore. I bought myself a job, which is not the benchmark of any successful business, but I bought myself a job. Um, so if you get to that stage and you start saying, you know, you start hating it, you start becoming less passionate about what you're really passionate about, then it's time to go, okay, what's my next step here? Um, you know, and, and again, it ties in so well with your question at the beginning, 
about COVID because really it should be happening whether there's a pandemic or whether there's not a pandemic. Um, but like we said at the beginning, at the onset, is that the pandemic forces us to do this where, where we might not have that opportunity if it weren't for that. So, um, you know, in, in terms of manager, I think, you know, people like you said, Sheila, management used to be check the box, tick the box, yeah, had the meeting, et cetera. But now, you know, as creativity is vaunted so much in, in our workplace and in our society now, we're not, we're not just looking for those high grades. We're not just looking for the academia and book smarts. We're looking for the street smarts. We're looking for people that can think outside the box because so much in our business is happening outside of the box that those are the people that actually add value and fit in. So, you know, I think as soon as you can move from that management to leadership style, and again, that might not be as cut and dry as this is this stage, this is this stage. You can incorporate leadership into your management style. Um, It's just a different mindset, like you said. Um, and then, and then the mentorship is really letting go. So the mentorship is not trying to hoard people. The mentorship is, you know, we're always bringing in new people, um, having our, our veterans, uh, you, know, you know, work with the new staff, trying to move them from anyone can come into your business and, and, and be really good uh, for themselves by themselves. The rubber hits the road when they have to start managing other people. So setting up those environments in your business where they can have that experience and, and find out you know what? I really like this job and this role I'm in. I'm not that good at managing other people, nor am I interested in that. So I just want to stay where I am instead of perpetually pushing people up the ladder and taking people out of things and positions that they're really good at, and then forcing them to go into positions that they're not ready for, or they're not good at yet. So I think, you know, summarizing the point, I don't think there is a a cut and dry. uh, I think it's, it's really based on how fast you're business is scaling, what you're feeling and what your team is telling you. Yeah, no, I love that. Especially the last part that you're saying, it's like, listen to what your team is telling you. Um, and I feel like that goes back to kind of like what you were saying, the, the steps that you need to do of like HR, then communications and customer communications is all that internal stuff. You know, listen to what your team is telling you uh, and then take action on it before you then move on to the customer. Um, I've worked for worked for and with companies that have said like, Hey, here's our mission statement. Here's, you know, our, our core values and those types of things. And then anytime you'd want to execute on any internal process that aligned with the mission statement or aligned with the core values, you could really see the two different companies that were successful versus non-successful. And the ones that were successful, I felt really did stick to that core mission statement. Like you said, you said, you know, 80% of the time these companies come to you and they're hiring you guys to fix a problem. And you said that they don't have even just their simple mission statement yet. It's like, well, how, how can we be aligned and how can we figure out what your mission is and how can we figure out where you're lacking if you don't even have it and adhere to it yourself? So I love that. Um, it reminds me, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine and he's a very successful business owner. And, They've uh, had their business operating for about eight and a half years ago, eight and a half years now. And I was talking to him and I said, hey, do you guys have your mission statement? So I love that you bring this up because I happen to just be hanging out in a hot tub with him talking business. And I was like, what is your business mission statement? And he he starts like quoting and he's like, I don't have it like down pat memorized yet. He's like, but thanks for that reminder. I need to. He's like, like, we've got it hanging up, you know, in the front lobby, like right when you walk in. And he goes, but do you want to know a secret? I go, what? He goes, 
We actually only wrote that mission statement about a year ago. He goes seven years into our business of being a successful multi-million dollar company. And he goes, we needed to have a mission statement. We really need to do, before we took on that next growing pain and growing in the direction that we wanted to, we need to say, okay, what direct, what is that direction? Where do we want to grow? How do we want to build? And is everyone on our team aligned with that vision? And so they got a team of, you know, his executives and he was there as the owner and their marketing director, you know, because marketing directors are good with words and language and making everything sound good. So they brought everyone together and he goes, we hash it out for two days. They worked on coming with up with their mission statement and he's got it now. And I should probably call him up later today and be like, okay, tell me your mission statement without looking, you know, holding them accountable to memorizing that. But as you were saying that, it just kind of reminded me that even people, sometimes we think, oh, this guy, he's got a successful business. He's been around for years. And he's like, no, I'm just barely now getting my stuff together. I think it, when you go back to your mission statement, your values, your core values, and those kind of things, if you don't know what they are, how are your customers going to know? And one of the reasons they hire you is for those specific reasons. One of the reasons you started what you're doing is for those reasons. It's your purpose. It's your passion in life. How can you not have it written down? And mine seems to change. And it, I, I think that that's something too that we need to remember is that our mission and our purpose may be also a little bit fluid, but I think keeping it simple is probably the best thing to do. Like you see, you know, Nike's just do it. I see mission statements that are like a whole paragraph long and I'm like, holy, you know, how can you remember all of those things? So what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I agree with both of you. And, and, you know, to Nate's point, the only thing worse than having not having a mission statement or vision is one that you have and it's on the wall and you don't actually execute <laughs> right. um, or, or one that's so long that you can't actually repeat it. So Sheila, to your point, uh, simple is easy. If, if you have a mission statement, a couple of rules of thumb, if you have a vision and mission that you can't repeat uh, because it's too long, it's a crappy vision and mission statement. Um, because when you really break down what each is, kind of your, your vision is what, you know, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, what and where are you, your, your mission is, is how, um, how, how are you doing it? And, and your purpose is really your why. why, why does your company need to exist beyond making money? Because it's really challenging to onboard people. If your purpose is just making money and we've sat with a lot of very successful people and, and Nate, you, you said it, uh, who have made a lot of money. And when we say what, you know, kind of what's your purpose, make money. This company is here to make money. Okay, perfect. Well then um, what's your, let me guess what your biggest issue is. You don't have your staff uh, coming in all pumped up to make you money. Um, <laughs> like it, it, but, but those are some sim- simple things. And I'm really glad we're talking about this because a lot of people think it's kumbaya and, oh, you know, who's got time to do that. And, and Nate's example of taking two days to do that is actually what it takes to do that. If you do it properly, because if you do it properly, you're, you're actually engaging everybody in that process and you're taking keywords from everybody and it takes time. And really what you're doing in those two days is you're getting alignment. So you're taking something that's gone like this in business and pulled apart and you're starting to bring it back together, common ground and alignment. And then you sign off on it. Um, and that that is really the foundation. We always use the, the example of building a house. Every every house has the, the same foundation. It's concrete or cement. Um, then it's got the, the steel or wood framework. And then that's every house. It doesn't matter what size, what shape, what style, concrete, 
framework, uh, foundation framework. Then what's nuanced are the furniture, the finishings and the fixtures. So that's what makes your house unique from my house, unique from Nate's house, etc. In business, it's the same thing. The, the, the culture is your foundation. No culture, no business. It will, it will not stand the test of time. Um, you know, the, the framework is that, that is, that is then your values and then your guiding principles. That's that, those aspects. And then the rest is the nuance that you're doing, whether it's a service based business or whether it's a product based business, that's really the nuance. It's not complicated, but we make it complicated. So, uh, you know, back to the first question and I keep driving it back, you know, maybe it's a great opportunity during the pandemic to re revisit your, your core values, revisit your mission and vision, your culture and say, like you said, Sheila, now, now that we're coming out of this, do we have to change it? Is it new? Is it new? Because it, it can't be the same. Like you can't just be the same thing that people um, to Nate's point, go in, read. Yeah. Yeah. I can read it to you, but we're not acting on it. Okay. Might as well not have it. It's gotta be something that is front and center. And that's where your communication strategy is. How does your vision, mission, and purpose, how is that reinforced internally and externally? Because that is the accountability piece. Is it on your letterheads? Is your, is it etched in a, a glass in the staff room? Is it in the, in the restrooms when you see it? Is it, on the, the receipts that you that you give to your your consumers, like your customer, what, where does that appear? How does that appear? Are really important considerations to making that actually stand. And then, as the leader and owner, that's your job. You're the chief cheerleader. You know, Nike is a great example. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, Phil Knight. What he did was he sought to praise in his organization every time somebody did something that aligned with the core values. So what most organizations and leadership does is they come down on, uh, criticize, uh, or, or that doesn't align with our core value. They're, they're going the opposite way. They're finding things that don't align, and that just perpetuates this cycle of, well, this isn't really fun. I'm just getting lectured every time I come. Uh, Phil Knight sought to be the cheerleader of the people and the efforts that were going into and reinforcing what those core values and vision and mission of Nike were. And that's why they are where they are. If you look at the organizations that you look at there that are the, the Fortune 500 companies, most, most of them will, will be bullish on making sure that people are acting in accordance with their vision, mission, and values. I love that you've repeated several times um, that companies say they don't have time for that. And my opinion, you don't have time not to do that. That's one of those things where um, like you said, it's on everything. It's everything that you do. Uh, Nate actually mentioned on one of our other episodes that one of the companies he worked for, they had to memorize during training before they even started. I think there were 27 values, I believe. Yeah, 27. It, that's what I believe as well. But that was a long time ago. So I might be wrong on that number. <laughs> but yeah, there were 27 core value statements. Uh, and anytime we wanted to make any really decision that was outside of like the regular guidebook of, you know, standard operating procedures that we had at work, we could go to our managers and say, listen, I believe I should take action A or B, and this is the core value that it aligns with. And you kind of present it and say, this is why, and here's, here's my reason, you know, this is the card that I'm using. Uh, I, I was never told no, because it aligned with, the mission statement, the values, those core values of the company. And so it, it wasn't about 
making us money or, you know, selling the most amount of widgets to the most amount of clients. That wasn't their core value. And so when we'd go and say, yeah, hey, we innovate and constantly improve. And this is why this is able to do this. It was, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. And it didn't necessarily matter the cost or the expense. If we could argue our case that it was aligned with those core values, it was approved. That shows an example of a company that that does do that. And they're quite a big, very successful company. You probably have heard of them. They're a small little software company named after a fruit. Um, Apple <laughs> is, is the company. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, listen, the first two questions that people should ask when someone is coming to apply for a company are, what is our organization's mission and vision? Um, provided that you've done a good job of putting it on your website and articulating it in a very clear manner. That's the first question that you should ask. So that, that shows people are not trying on trying your job on. They've actually done some homework. Um, and then the second question is, what are your some of your core values and, and your own personal mission? Do you have a, a personal mission statement or a personal vision statement? Maybe not, but what are some of your core values? What are your strengths and, and, and areas of improvement? Um, those are those are some of the interview questions that should be asked right out of the gate to, to find that alignment that you're talking about, Nate. Because the name of the game is to try to onboard people as quickly and efficiently as possible um, and and have them rowing in the same direction the the sooner that you can do that through you know this kind of these kind of things that we're outlining in the conversation the better you're going to be and the more successful that you're going to be and the less management um, reactive management you're going to have to do because you're proactively attacking this so great point another point that kind of is has been brought up in the past too is that when you're in a situation and something similar to what situation we're in right now, where all we're trying to pivot is to go to those people who are working for you and ask them what they think, because a lot of times those people who are, you know, quote unquote, lower on the totem pole have these brilliant ideas. And they're like, you know, if we did this, then that, and sometimes they're even our own customers. So if you go to them and say, Hey guys, we want everyone to throw in some ideas on what we think. And, you know, the winner of it's going to get whatever and going to the people who are, you know, in the trenches and asking their opinion. If you've hired the right people, you're going to get some phenomenal ideas. Best ideas come from privates in the army kind of statement. Yeah, no question. And we ran a franchise business for 20 years and we were the franchisor. And I can tell you that a lot of the innovation came from the franchisees. Um, for sure, because, you know, they have a fresh lens, they're new, they're excited, they're hungry, times change, like you alluded to earlier, Sheila, and uh, there's new new ways of doing things, there's better ways, there's more efficiencies, um, so, you know, if you create that culture where you invite that uh, into play, not everything's going to be accepted, you've got to be responsible on how you roll it out, pilot it before you just roll it out as a blanket to everywhere, but... <laughs> You're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, creating that environment is not only good for the growth of your business, it's actually fantastic for the, the culture. Well, Matt, we think you're tremendous. We think you're awesome. Um, I do have one question for you. I've seen it several places that you have a Guinness Book World Record, but I can't figure out and find what it is you have a world record in. Well, it's not as obscure as hot dog eating. Uh, <laughs> Thank heavens. Yes. Yeah. So don't worry about that. We, we had a client, I have to tell you the quick story. So we had a, a, a client that we were training and he was uh, trained at seven o'clock every day. And every day he was late. He was 15 minutes late every day. And so what we did was we punished him. So we said, if you're late tomorrow, you're on the step mill or you're going to run your, your, your butt off on this, or you're going to, we did that for probably I'd say three months. So 90 days, 
finally, after 90 days, and you'd think that we would have done a better job of this, we said, hey, why are you late every day? And he said, well, I have a daughter who's got type 1 diabetes, so I've got to wake up at uh, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and, and, or 10, 12, and 2, just to check her pulse, make sure she's alive. Okay, so imagine how small that I felt there. And so then I had to, we had to write that wrong situation, and we said, well, what are you doing about it? And uh, he said, well, the gala, and how can we help, is what we said. And uh, he said, well, we want to do something big. I promised her by the time she was 18, I'd, I'd work to find a cure and, and raise a lot of money. And I said, well, let's ride, let's ride across our country. Um, so let's ride from one, one end of Canada to the other as fast as we can in a continuous relay. And we'll raise money for, for JDRF and your cause. And we did it. And uh, we tacked on a, a Guinness Book of World Records because somebody, a volunteer said, hey, this would be great and great notoriety and makes a great, uh, makes a great media piece. Um, so we got a Guinness Book of World Records. We cycled across continuously in eight days um, and uh, we raised a million dollars, more importantly, for juvenile diabetes. So that's what it was. That's phenomenal. Did you, did you say you rode across the entire country of Canada in eight days? Correct. And you're talking bicycle, right? Bicycle. Not, not the bicycle with the engines in it. It was a relay. So it was a five person. Can, you, you rode continuously. There was always someone riding um, I, wow, yeah. that's, that's that's impressive, and and for a wonderful cause, it sounds like that's yes. that's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a lot cooler than just eating like thirty hot dogs in five <laughs> minutes or whatever <laughs> those type of things. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that have raised great money for great causes <laughs> eating hot dogs, but I, I, I like that one a little bit better, Matt. <laughs> thank you, thank so. you. Because it, it suits our conversation today. Know your know your customer. Don't make it. Don't make, don't make assumptions. And and really, that's the benefit of having people on the messy backend podcast because the people that have made those mistakes, we, we we would not be in the situation we're in if we hadn't have gone through those learning opportunities and learn from that. So that was a great learning opportunity. Don't don't just uh, you know ask the people, ask the customers, just like we talked about. Um, ask people what they're doing, what's going on, and why. So anyway, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having us on. I really appreciate what you're doing and hopefully your your listeners can get some benefit out of the information that's being shared. Really appreciate it, Nate and Sheila. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. I absolutely know that they'll get benefit from your uh, wonderful words of wisdom today. So thanks for being on the show. Cheers. Cool. Well, folks, that's all for today's episode of The Messy Backend. It's Nate and Sheila signing off until next time. Thank you to our advertiser, PodServe FM. They will help you get your podcast hosted and published quickly and easily. Visit them at podserve.fm forward slash messy to find out more. And thank you to our advertiser, Thrivecart. They're the number one shopping cart software that grows your income from existing traffic with high converting checkout pages, upsells, and affiliate campaigns. Watch the video on how simple this cart solution is at themessybackend.com slash cart. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform by going to themessybackend.com forward slash subscribe and check us out on our YouTube channel for full episodes. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of The Messy Backend. I'm Wendy Wadaley, known as your Income Acceleration Mentor, and I'm the founder and dean at More Coaching Client Sales and Marketing Academy. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like my vacuum is getting cleaner with every episode. I can tell you from my own experience that 
processing, looking at the messy back end situation when it happens helps you to grow and learn and be that much better as an entrepreneur. Join us again next week as experts share more customized business advice and tips about all the messy stuff that goes into the back end of entrepreneurship. Remember, you're not alone. Every business has a messy back end that needs a little attention. I don't know how to read. I know you don't know how to read, but please learn how to read. I'll try. Um, you skip, skipped Glenn Fittich. I know. I didn't know how to say it. Pepsi. Glenn Fittich. <laughs> Glenn Fittich. Maybe you need to know, learn how to read. No, Kelleher. Is that how you say it? Kelleher. Um, he's an American billionaire in the airline industry. I... Keller. Keller. Is Keller? Kel- Keller? Kelleher, 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 He's been on 60 Minutes. You want to hear a funny little anecdote about Herb? Yeah. It says, I have a friend who is, she said one of the first days on her job, she got hired on by, on by Southwest at the age of 19. One of her first days on the job, she was told to go see if the, a plane was clean. Upon entering the plane, she noticed a man smoking on the plane. She said, excuse me, sir, no smoking on the plane. And he said, sweetie, I own these planes. <laughs> and it was her. <laughs> She's, and then it said about a year later, she ran into him by chance. And he said to her, excuse me, no smoking on the plane. Like he wow. totally remembered who she was a year ago. Like That's over amazing. a year later. Like, <laughs> I'm going to ask him to come on the podcast just for kicks and giggles and see what happens. Who? Herb Kelleher. Did you do? Did he die? <laughs> yeah, he's Dang he's it. not with us anymore. Dang it! He passed away January third, twenty nineteen. Bummer. We could have had him on in twenty eighteen. It should have cut away. Right <laughs> what was that? Did you shove say ass? No, I said I... shove it up your nose. I did not say that. Seriously. Say the word ass. Do no, it. Say I ass. Say no, it. no. It's I'm in sorry the Bible. About... Nate, you're messy back in showing. Good. <laughs> Nate, this is Matt Young. He's the uh, found, founder of uh, FSQ with Lee Cassells. Oh, hi, Matt. Matt, Matthew. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Oh, cool. Well, Matt is more efficient than short, uh, less, less syllables, you know? <laughs>